0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is
1: the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN New York.
2: Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf's Sports Edge. I am your host, Rick Wolf. Well, on this morning's show, because, because we ran short of uh, time last Sunday morning, I, I want to continue with my, uh, my clinic on youth coaches, with particular emphasis on those parents who are volunteering to serve as coaches uh, within their community. And uh, if we have time later on in the hour, I want to tell you about a a Little League baseball issue uh, where a kid basically fought uh, Little League baseball for three years in order to be able to play with a a particularly, uh, well, it was a baseball. It's the same as any other baseball, as a white baseball, but because of this kid's uh, visual impairment, he had to use a ball that was yellow. Uh, same size, same specs, everything as, as a white baseball, but Little League basically said, no, this is not going to happen. And it finally uh, took a letter, intervention from the uh, Department of Justice to intervene, Department to, to basically come in and say, yeah, Little League Baseball, let's make a reasonable accommodation for this kid. Anyhow, I'll, I'll tell you more later on. But uh, first of all, I do want to talk about and uh, do a quick recap of the key points we discussed last week. And um, and I, I, you know, this is for for parents who are coaching, helping out uh, within their towns and, and uh, communities, if you're working with kids from the ages, of, let's say, 6 through 12, and uh, of course, as always, uh, I like last week, uh, we had a great uh, forum. Take your calls at one 337 That's uh, brought to you by Mohegan Sun. Unlimited possibilities await you at Mohegan Sun. You can plan your stay at mohegansun.com. Okay, very quickly before we get to the new points today. First of all, we talked about sarcasm. If you're coaching kids, you know, you just don't use any sarcasm because kids, especially at those early ages, they just don't get it. They don't understand it. Number two, organize your practice sessions so that everybody who's, you know, on the team, they're moving all the time. You don't want to have any kind of standing around in any practice situation. This, takes, involves, this involves a little bit of a pre-planning by you as the coach as to what you're going to do but make sure you do that. So again, there's just no no downtime where kids are just basically getting bored. Number three, if you don't know the rules of the sport you're coaching, well, you, you better learn them. In fact is, you know you might say, well, I played this sport when I was a kid growing up, but it's a good possibility that some of the some of the rules have changed or been modified since you were a kid. So before you go into the season uh, working within that sport, make sure you go back and review the rules. Before you get involved in coaching them, number four, and this I always say this, and it just uh, it's it's it just it's very simple. No profanity around children, especially kids ages six through twelve. You know, if you as a grownup if you can't control your mouth, well then perhaps you shouldn't be working with youngsters. Number five, when it comes to praise, yeah, kids do expect praise, and you have to be uh, you have to fulfill that need. You should be lavish. And most importantly, you want to be specific when you praise a kid. Tell each youngster on the team what they did well in the game. And just don't say, well, you did a nice job or you played well. Now, that's not enough. Be very specific about what they did well uh, in each contest so they know exactly that you they've really registered as to what they're doing and improving. That's important. Again, be specific in your praise. And number six, and again, this is a, the, probably the most important one of all, at the youth level, everybody plays and plays a lot. You have to make sure that everybody on your roster gets in the game and plays a lot. Again, we're talking at the youth level now. We're not talking at the high school varsity or, or club team level. We're talking about youth level where every kid comes to every game expecting to play, to break a sweat, to get the uniform dirty, and to play and play a lot. You you know, as I said this last week, and it's so so true as a coach, you have to understand and accept the fact that the other parents, uh, they come to the games to watch their kid play. And, and honestly, at the youth level, <laughs> they really don't care that much of the team wins or loses so long as their youngster plays and plays a lot. Uh, and again, uh, I, th- these are just fundamentals. But it's just amazing to me how often youth coaches uh, just don't seem to remember these basic fundamentals. Now, reminder... If you'd like to hear the discussion we had on these particular rules from last week's show, and as I said, we had a lot of great calls and a lot of great suggestions, all you have to do is to go to WFAN.com, and you can click on the link uh, to my show from last Sunday. Or, alternatively, you can go to AskCoachWolf.com, and you can find a, a brief recap of all these points as well, and also there's a link to the podcast there, too. Okay, now, on today's show... I want to continue with more coaching tips, Uh, and again, I'll invite you, I'll I'll take your calls as well. Let me first pick up on that tip about about playing time. Yes, we know that all the kids got to come and they all have to play a lot in the game. As a direct follow-up to that, as a corollary, in addition to all of your players getting ample playing time, you're also going to have to make sure that they rotate and play different positions during the course of the game. That is, everybody will take turns, let's let's say that you're playing soccer, Everybody's going to take a turn playing forward. Sometimes they're going to play uh, on defense as a fullback or they're going to play infield in baseball or whatever it might be. They've got to make sure they rotate the players. And you're going to have to ask one of your assistant coaches to basically maintain a scorecard during each game to make sure every youngster uh, plays and plays different positions. And why? Because I guarantee you at some point in the course of the season – some mom or dad's going to come up to you as the coach and say, how come my kid only plays defense or never gets a chance to play up front in soccer? Well, unless you have a well-maintained scorecard, you're not going to be able to answer that question. And if you delegate this task to an assistant coach, you've got to make sure they do the job well and are paying attention uh, in the course of the game. But again, it's a very simple sort of uh, easy tactic to follow, but you got to make sure you do it so all the kids at the youth level know they're playing different positions during the course of a game now what about your worries that a youngster might get hurt um, I'm talking particularly about, about baseball but it could be any sport if you're afraid that a, a youngster might get injured well first of all what you do is you say to the, the youngster look what you have to do is basically prove to me as the head coach that you can catch for example a thrown uh, a ball I mean if, if you are born to play first base and you're going to be catching the ball from across the infield, you got to prove to me that you can catch a ball that's thrown with some velocity. Um, So the way to do that is to basically say, if you can prove to me in practice that you can catch balls thrown at a pretty good speed, well, then I'll let you play first base in the game. Uh, Now, you don't want to be discouraging about this. That's not the point. You want to say to the youngster, look, all you got to do is just show me uh, and prove to me that you can do this, and now I'll let you play first base uh, in the course of any contest. Um, same way with pitchers. If a kid wants to pitch in Little League Baseball, well, you know, that's fine. What you say is, here's what we have to do. And this is for all the pitchers on your team. You say, during the course of practice, I'm going to take you off to the sideline, and you're gonna, I'm going to have you throw 10 pitches. If you can throw seven of those pitches for strikes, you know, on a consistent basis, then certainly you've, you've earned a chance to go out and pitch in the game. But if you can't throw strikes, I'm not going to put you out there because it's, it's just going to slow the game down and it's just going to be kind of tedious for everybody involved. So let them have know that they have to earn their, their playing time in the sense that they have to show to you as a coach that they can throw strikes or they can catch the ball across the diamond. And that's, that's a fair way because it applies to all the kids, and they have to show they can do this. Okay? Uh, all right. Let me, uh, As I said, we're going to take calls on this because a lot of things we're going to cover here. 1-877-337-6666. Let's, uh, let's start with our friend Coach Tom out of North Arlington. Tom, good morning.
1: Morning Rick. How are you uh, doing? I just Okay, great. I I I heard what you're talking about again like last week. Yep. I I rarely call two weeks in a row. <laughs> <laughs> but but I just wanted to um, get more involved like you were talking about uh plan your practice. I wanted to get into that into that specifically. Yes. Uh I, I again I'm dealing more from a basketball standpoint, but it certainly applies to baseball. And I did this in high school as well. Number one, well, the thing is, write your practice schedule out. Don't just plan it. You have to actually write it out, put down all the things you could do, and I would even go so far as to put times on it. Ah. Okay, for yourself okay, for yourself and your assistant coaches Mm -hmm. so that they're not just ad living it, Mm
3: -hmm. okay?
1: And as far as, you know, the times, you know, you you try to do that the best you can because, number one, you always want to put down more than you're going to need in practice. Mm -hmm. It's better at the end of practice if you have stuff left over for next practice rather than standing around wondering what to do next, okay? The other thing is with with the times, um, generally – I know this from basketball. If you cut your drill short where the kids want to keep doing it, it means you did a good job. Okay? (laughs) Seriously, because all these times I've watched a lot of recreation where they're doing it and doing it, and the kids start to get bored doing, you know, whatever they're doing, even if it's, you know, just layups or whatever. Okay. Um, It's better that they're too short. The other thing and I think is probably the key to best of my practice is mix your drills. Okay, like on basketball, I would do an offense, a defense, and a fast break or whatever. But more importantly, hard drills, okay, drills for discipline, and then mix in between fun drills. So you're not doing a whole bunch. And to me, it's you know, people don't realize how important it is, you know, because you know that then it makes practice not only you know good. But it makes it interesting. I used to have kids used to try to cheat over and look at my, you know, my practice sheet just to see. We're doing. So I used to always put their favorite drills at the very end, okay. And then, guys, we just didn't get to it today, you know. So I would play with them with that a little bit, but you know, seriously, mixing them, okay. And the most important things: discussions are for after practice, ah. not not during, because you know, discussions during practice. To me, I always felt I said, "Listen, we're going to have a discussion. I win." In practice, because we don't have enough time, and there's everybody else. As soon as we're done, you may win every argument as long as it's the two of us or the team on the side. We just don't have the time, and basically, that's 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 all I wanted to say about well,
2: that. Well, Tom, as always, these are superb uh, superb observations and great suggestions. And as always, I thank you. Uh, you know, this is this is what we're talking about. If you're going to coach, make the conscious effort, as Tom just said, it's a good idea to not only just uh, pre-plan your, your practices, but also take some time to actually write the, the down write down the, the time and the sequences you're going to use, uh, mix in uh, the more pleasant drills with the ones that are a little more tedious, and whatever you do, keep it moving. If you want to talk to your team about a strategy or, or some sort of uh, different kind of approach, don't do it during practice time. Do that after the practice for a few minutes. Again, keep your comments short, but keep it moving at all times so the kids saying, yeah, this was great fun. I can't wait to come back to the next practice session. If you succeed in doing that, you know you're going to have kids who are all fully engaged. They're all going to feel like they're they're making progress in terms of mastering their skills and abilities, and that becomes a real win-win. And, again, it all starts with the head coach taking time to sit down and figure out how we're going to run a practice so everybody comes away feeling good, productive, and having a good time. and welcome back to the sports edge i'm rick wolf your host we're talking uh this morning about youth coaching tips if you're going to be volunteering uh to coach your youngster uh between the ages of say six and twelve uh it makes no difference what sport it is there are certain you know paradigms you want to make sure you follow if you're going to be coaching uh let me just very quickly get into this because i know this is something that people always wonder about discipline disciplining kids on your team. Now, this can get a little dicey because basically you're going to be volunteering to coach not only your kid, but obviously other parents' kids as well. And we all know that some kids can be a little bit um, obstreperous at times. Uh, I have found that the best approach is when a kid is not behaving accordingly, you basically bring the kid over and say, well, we'll have to give you a timeout, which means that you're going to take them out of the game and have them stand next to you on the sidelines. Or if it's a practice session, the same thing. Take them out of the practice session, have them stand next to you during the course of the, of the exercises. Do not let them go off and stand somewhere else or go off and to talk to other kids. Just make sure they stand with you as you observe the game or the practices. Now, the reason why we do this is that most youngsters can't wait to get back into the action. And the longer they realize that that's not going to happen, as long as you have them on the sidelines, well, usually the more contrite they become. When you feel they've served their punishment time, then you ask them directly if they can now behave themselves appropriately. If they say yes, and they seem sincere about it, well, then you put them back into the action. But if they misbehave again, well, then they're right back to the sidelines with you. Again, you playing off the fact that kids want to get involved. They want to be having fun with their friends uh, in the course of the, of the contest. But, again, if they violate that rule of misbehaving, then you just give them a timeout. And you continue to give them a timeout until they finally come around to realizing that they have to figure out they got to play just like all the rest of the kids as well. Okay, let's go back to some more calls here. Let's go to our friend A.J. in Princeton, New Jersey. A.J., good morning. You're on the fan.
4: Hey, good morning, Rick. Great talking with you again. You too, A.J. Um, listen, I'm going to take a little bit of a contrarian uh, approach here. Um, I, I remember one of, the, one of the reasons I wanted to be a parent was because I wanted to be a coach.
2: <laughs> okay.
4: I mean, seriously, seriously. Um, and I was really looking forward to it, and I'm going back to the early 2000s now. And um, let me start with baseball. Um, You know, I'm talking about eight-year-olds, nine-year-olds, and probably the biggest disappointment I had was doing what you're describing. I mean, really looking forward to practice, really looking forward to how can I teach these kids. I want to teach them the fundamentals, Mm -hmm. you know, beyond what is a baseball. But, you know, what do you do when the ball's hit to you? What do you do with a fly ball, tagging up, running bases? You know, I mean, there's a million fundamentals. And where do you start? Um, So I was really looking forward to that. And what do you do when the kids don't show up for practice? (laughs) Okay. You know, I mean, seriously, when you you have a few kids show up, all of a sudden you're in the improv mode. Okay, I'll do what I can with who shows up. But I just want to say there's a lot of this that's on the parents' responsibility. Now, we pick on the parents all the time. But one of the responsibilities is getting them to practice. And then the other disappointment is you're competing against birthday parties, family events. So sometimes kids don't show up for games.
2: AJ, here's. And at that. As I was going to say, this is a, a universal concern, particularly for kids who, as you say, are six uh, through, say, 10, because they do have other uh, conflicts in their schedule. And many times the parents. Uh, you know, their family commitments, uh, whatever it might be, other kids were playing sports as well. This is incumbent upon a conversation that you as the head coach have to have, obviously, with the parents before the before the for, at the first practice and say, look, uh, we're going to have to come to an agreement. If you know that there are going to be conflicts uh, with your youngster and playing in the games or practice sessions, you must let me know at least – three or four days before that that event uh, otherwise we're going to have if all if half the team doesn't show up we're going to have to basically just forfeit and that's not fair to not only the kids in our team who do show up to play in the game but to the other team as well because they are those kids looking forward to competing in the game as well so you gotta have an understanding with the parents that you gotta have the the, the uh, civility to tell me there's gonna be some issues and and miss this and miss that if, if this pattern continues then what you do is, you, of course, you bring in the parents again and say, look, uh, I was very clear about this before the season began. Now we're, I don't know, uh, a third of the season has gone past and we're having these issues. Let me know. Otherwise, we'll just basically take the kids who, know, who are going to be here all the time and, and have them assigned to other teams in the league because it's not fair to have these continuing misses and lapses without having some prior notification. AJ, I, I don't know how else to do that uh, except that, you know, um, yeah, it is a concern, and it happens every year because some parents just figure, oh, what's the difference? It's just, you just youth sports. Well, it is, but you're also trying to teach your youngsters a sense of responsibility and, again, accountability. As you said, it, it sort of go, it gets, goes sideways. It gets derailed, The kids and the parents don't show up. Simple as that. AJ, thank Rick, you. you. Know, when, it
4: come, when, uh, it, when it comes to the discipline, yeah. you know, just, I mean, basketball was probably the toughest sport to coach. Um, and when you have kids under 10 years old or around 10 years old and they start running around playing with each other, you know, playing tag and stuff, yeah. um, you can't be, you know, you know what you can't do. Um, so what, what I did was, <laughs> um, I'd make them run a couple of laps. laps yep. and I even told the parents, look, I'm not going to do anything other than embarrass the kid. If he's going to do this, I'm just going to embarrass him. I mean, that's the, that's the worst I could possibly well, do. That's as far as I'm going to go.
2: Yeah. And, and, uh, and, but and, and Jay, let me, let me respond to that. Thank you, as always, for the call. You know, um, yeah, you can, you can always resort to having a youngster and say, okay, obviously uh, you're not really paying attention, you're misbehaving. This obviously happens more often with the younger kids. And you can have them do a lap uh, if you want, but the fact is I find it more effective to really sort of sit down with the kid or have the kid come off to the side and not be able to do anything. And if the pattern of misbehavior continues, at that point as the coach, you have to have a private conversation with the parents and say, look, uh, we're having some difficulty here because I'm finding I'm spending more and more time not coaching the kids, but basically having to address an issue with your youngster. What do you as the parents think we should do about this? Because it's not fair to not only uh, your youngster but also the rest of the kids in the team. You know, at the, at the youth levels, you can get the parent's opinion about how they feel uh, their kid, if the if the kid's being unruly and as being a distraction. Uh, and that is something that I think that a youth coach needs to be sensitive about, because again, you are responsible not just for that one kid, but for all the kids. And obviously, if they see you're having to deal with some sort of a discipline issue, they're going to be. Uh, distracted themselves, as simple as that. All right, before I get to the calls, one other thing I want to mention to you, team captains. This is something that we talk about all the time. If you're going to have captains, you should appoint captains on a rotating basis. In other words, have a captain for for different captains for each game. I mean, again, we're talking about young kids here, ages 6 through 12. We're not talking about varsity athletes. So why not give every youngster on your team, regardless of their ability... You know, get them a chance to be appointed team captain for each game. I mean, as simple as that, uh, because a kid feels like a sense of responsibility, a sense of personal pride. They're being recognized for their potential leadership. But you got to make sure every kid on your team uh, gets a chance to be a captain for at least one game. And obviously, if you have you know, not that many games and you have a lot of kids in your roster, well, you can have two or three captains for each game. It's as simple as that. Uh, but make a big deal about it because you want to get them feeling a sense, as I say, of personal pride and accomplishment. Another quick point. If one of your kids or your players gets hurt during a practice or a game, well, you know, as a coach, you got to take that seriously. You have to use all sorts of precautions, common sense. Obviously, you have to have a first aid kit, a fully stocked first aid kit at all practices and games. Uh, but you, you can forget the, the, the old... Old school. Hey, just toughen up. Uh, just rub it with some dirt and get back into the game. That kind of um, old school approach went out of style 30 years ago. And besides, if you try that kind of uh, approach today, you'll probably end up being served with a lawsuit by the kid's parents. So, if a youngster is hurt and they go down, and there's some tears and some some you know concern, it's your job to immediately go out and to support the kid. Uh, you know, get them off the field. Ah, uh, bring them over the sidelines. Make sure they're getting some uh, some medical attention, and take it seriously. <clears throat> At that age, it's much more important to take all precautions when it comes to a kid, you know, uh, getting injured. Simple as that. Let's move on. Let's go to let's go to our friend Jack hey, over in Farwell. Hey, Jack. Jack, you there? Jack, you there?
5: Yeah, I'm here, Rick. Your 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 state. The station's kind of breaking up a little bit, but um, yeah, things are. Uh... You know, this is a great topic, and like not like Tom from North Arlington, I love calling in every week. So, <laughs> <laughs>
3: um,
5: couple couple points. First of all, athletics are one of the greatest tools for teaching life lessons, and there's no better way. There's no better time than to teach it at a young age. You know, coaches should have their golden rules. These are things that they sit down with the kids before the season starts and the parents and let them know. Teach them commitment. Teach them about responsibility. All these things are life lessons, and there's no better place than athletics to learn these things. Mm-hmm. Also, also referring like I always do to your books, if a, child, if, if a kid or a child is, is able to learn, then teach, because you've got to teach them also those, those mental Aspects of the game, you know, teach them how to block out distractions at an early age. Start introducing that stuff to them at an early age. And the other topic about the practices that we were talking about, about the one coach talked about the fun part. Throw competition into your into your stations. Have the kids compete against each other, not just do the skills, because now you're teaching them the skill work and you're also teaching them to compete. Which is gonna be what every game is going to be. Plus every practice. Kids are competing for playing time and positions. And these things are what make practices great. Two more things real quick and, and then I'll get off and listen. But also the parents that are that are now volunteering and there's no you know, there's no bigger heart than a volunteer. And the point is is that if they're going to teach, learn what's being taught today. Like we talked about last week, things that were taught in hitting, you know, in fielding 15, 20 years ago are not being taught today. And when coaches start to recruit kids, you know, I do recruiting for my hitters and and colleges about being, you know, learning the positions, learning the different versatilities. And being versatile, being able to play the outfield, the infield, be a catcher, first base, those things are a plus. I have a girl right now going to college that she's a primary catcher, but I also worked with her in the outfield and at first base. And she would not have gotten into the school that she wanted to if she wasn't versatile. Well, Jack, let
4: me
2: me stop you there, Jack. As always, my thanks uh, for your call. And, and, And to Jack's point, he's right on target, You know, the fact is, uh, when a kid gets involved in youth sports, and we talk about this uh, routinely, this is the venue in which he or she begins to learn about competition and learns about, uh, you know, basically taking pride and becoming responsible and accountable for their actions. You know, you get some of this perhaps in school, but it's really straight on when it comes to youth sports. And these are the intangibles, the takeaways that become life lessons, as Jack was talking about. And again, just to reinforce what he said, yeah, just because you played baseball or softball or or basketball or or tennis, whatever you played as a kid 20 years ago, you know, understand that a lot of these sports are taught differently now. And as you as a youth coach, you better brush up on your basics, because quite frankly, you may be teaching these young kids today fundamentals that no longer are taught. And I think that's a crucially important uh, lesson for all coaches who are volunteering to understand? Things change. It's, it's as simple as that. And again, to Jack's point, you as a coach have to be aware of this. You mentioned before about the rule changes. Yeah, well, rules do change in sports, and you have to be aware of that because at some point, some some 11-year-old kid's going to say, "Hey, coach, what's the rule about this?" And if you don't know the rule uh, in the year 2018, it's going to be kind of embarrassing. It's as simple as that. Hey, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first of all, uh, I just want to remind you that as we go through all these various youth coaching tips, again, you can find all of these uh, either on AskCoachWolf.com, uh, where they're obviously written down, or you can link there to the WFAN podcast or go, go to WFAN.com as well to also access the podcast uh, for the Sports Edge. Um, very quickly, uh, this coming Wednesday, May 9th at uh, 6 o'clock, there's a, a meet and greet with Sean McManus, who is the chairman of uh, CBS Sports Network. Uh, it's going to take place up in Stamford, Connecticut at Workpoint uh, Ship and Landing. Let me give you an email address if you'd like to go and have a chance to meet uh, one of the real power brokers when it comes to sports. Uh, you can uh, email rjmatmedia@gmail. at gmail. Let me spell it out for you. It's rj. Matt, M-A-T-T-M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. Again, this is coming uh, Wednesday evening, uh, a meet and greet with Sean McManus of CBS Sports. A quick reminder about Secrets of Sports Psychology Revealed. You know, if you've ever wondered whether the process of of visualization in sports uh, really works, I have to tell you, I, I would strongly advise you pick up a copy of this book. You know, all of our kids focus so much of their time on the physical aspect of their games like weight training and and conditioning and, and nutrition and so on. But the truth is very few of our kids ever spend much time really focusing on their mental approach like visualization. And again, that's covered uh, in, in some detail and in, in secrets of sports psychology revealed. Don't forget at nine o'clock this morning, Ed Randall will be here talking baseball. And before I get back to our callers, let me tell you, as I mentioned at the top of the hour about a what seemed to be a seemingly innocent situation, uh, which centered on a kid who plays Little League baseball, and, and unfortunately, the kid was born with a condition that does not let him see well. Um, but, you know, this all started back in 2015. Uh, Ryan Huizdos of Gross Point, Michigan, as I mentioned, he was born with a condition known as albinism. That's obviously related to being an albino. But among other physical concerns, it also has a tendency to limit one's sight. But his, his visual disability really didn't prevent him from playing Little League baseball with all of his buddies, uh, buddies who obviously are fully abled. The only difference is that over the years, Ryan found that using a yellow baseball uh, with the exact same specifications as a standard white baseball, it allowed him to pitch and play with little concern. But back in 2015, when his Little League team reached the district playoffs, Ryan was ready to pitch in a game with a yellow ball when Little League Baseball intervened and declared that the yellow ball was to be banned, and thus Ryan could not play. Now, Little League had ruled that the yellow ball, which, again, the same as the white baseball, except for the coloration, had not been approved or licensed by Little League Baseball and therefore could not be used in the game. Well, it turned out during those playoffs, the the local uh, Little League administrator uh, in Michigan, well, he, he ignored Little League's ruling and let Ryan play in the game with the yellow ball. Over the course of the next couple of years, Ryan's father was fit to be tied, and he took up the cause against Little League. He, he found a sympathetic ear with the U.S. attorney's office in Detroit, and that lawyer sent off a curt letter to Little League saying, look, all you had to do was make a reasonable accommodation for this kid, and if Little League baseball doesn't do that, well, they'll probably be found in serious jeopardy of not following the American Disabilities Act. Well, the happy news is it took Little League Baseball three years to figure out the right thing to do regarding Ryan, but they finally got the message from the Department of Justice, and Ryan is now allowed to play legally in the games using a yellow baseball. Curiously, the kids who play with Ryan and his opponents, they really don't care. It's the same baseball. It happens to be yellow instead of white, but it allows this kid to play, and he's a pitcher, it allows him to play and play well uh, in terms of just this ruling, which seemed to me like... Hey, common sense, Little League, do the right thing here. And the, Ryan, you know, observed, he said, quote, I could understand this. It confused me. I've used the yellow ball my entire life. It's just baseball. It's not professional baseball. It's just kids playing ball. So good, good for Ryan. Uh, yeah, and I understand about getting approvals and licensing deals and all that stuff. But, you know, sometimes you just got to do the right thing. Okay. Uh, let's get back to our calls. Let's go to uh, Troy up in Connecticut. Troy, good morning. You're on the fan.
3: Hi, Rick. Thanks for taking my call. Yes, I just, sir. Uh, I've enjoyed listening to your uh, uh, calls, and I just want to talk about coaching a little bit. I coached for over 10 years girls lacrosse and girls soccer. Yep. And the tips you gave me are excellent. And uh, when I was coaching, I found that being prepared, I always wrote everything down. Yep. But in addition to that, I also had backup plans because I found out that. Sometimes you try things; they don't work well. You move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other item I did was I typically had multiple assistant coaches, and we did stations. I heard you were talking about that, so we would have coaches doing different things that they were good at, and we would work through that. We typically had twenty, 20 plus kids for lacrosse, so I could not handle them all by myself. Sure. So. That's all I want to say and just uh, listen to what you have to say.
2: Well, Troy, thank you very much and again, I, I know a lot of times we, we talk on the air here about, about baseball, which is something that's obviously very near dear to me. but the fact is all these the, the philosophy about working with kids in youth sports, whether it's lacrosse, soccer, baseball, basketball, Again, as, as Troy pointed out and, and uh, as the previous callers pointed out as well, you got to go through the process as a coach of really taking some time to plan out the practice sessions, put, uh, you know, write them down, figure out how much time they're going to take, and get the kids moving and moving and on the go. So when they come to a practice, there's no standing around. They're going to for the next hour or so they're going to be fully engaged and fully involved in learning skills and drills uh, at all parts of the game. Uh, and, and uh, as you know we also talked about as well you got to make sure that there, if you're going to have a little you know chalk talk or discussion with your kids and the team either do that for five or ten minutes before the actual practice about you can tell them what you want to expect to have happen in terms of the drills but you also want to make sure if you do at the end of the practice you don't just you know, ramble on and take forever keep your comments short uh, keep them well rehearsed and just keep it moving, moving, moving so the kids know what to expect when they have a practice session, you know, each week. Let's go on. Let's go to um let's go to Tom over in Brick, New Jersey. Tom, good morning, you're on the fan.
4: Rick, it all starts with as far as I'm concerned, I'm a baseball nut. Okay. You have to have people that are properly trained to let the kids learn the greatest game in the world. Mm-hmm. You need skills far superior than any other sport. And we don't have enough people that we train to say, okay, if you want to do this, you first got to learn uh, how to handle children, especially children under the age of uh, uh, 10, any under the age of 10. The basic skill is to throw a baseball and catch a baseball. If you can't teach
2: that, you don't have a program. Uh, Tom, I, 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 hear you saying, uh, you know, I, I would, I would venture and I'm sure you'd probably agree that of all the sports uh, in terms of skill level, there are so many different skills in baseball that have to be learned and taught and taught the right way. And yeah, it's very difficult uh, to find a lot of youth coaches who know how to handle or teach all the aspects of baseball. And to your point, yeah, it all starts with the ability to catch a baseball and to throw a baseball, and that has to be taught. You can't assume any kid knows how to do that. Uh, by the time they're playing ball when they're 6 or 7, I mean, one of the drills that, that coaches should very much be involved in is having kids line up uh, and, and you know two lines and throw the ball back and forth to each other. And at, at the early levels, Tom, you know this, they, gotta, they can't use baseballs. So they got to use a soft, squishy ball. So the kids can to learn the, the 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 skills that are necessary without the fear of getting hit in the head with a baseball. Uh, but yeah, it's it's um it's a real concern because baseball takes some real expert uh, skill level from the coaches to teach this the young those skills to the younger kids. It's it's very very difficult and very demanding. Tom, thank you okay. for the call. Oh, I'm I gonna move on here because I'm running out of time. Let me go to. Uh, let me go to John in Flushing, New York. John, good morning. You're on the fan.
4: Good morning. Nice to talk to you. You got a great show.
2: Thank you, John.
5: Uh, what I'm calling is I have a I have a son that's playing college baseball, Division One baseball. Uh-huh. And God, and God blessed me with a with a nine year old. 14 years later, we had another child. <laughs> so I'm going through this all over again.
2: Oh my goodness. Okay.
5: It's it's great though. I'm enjoying it. Good. the thing that I learned the most about it from the uh, from the first go go-around to this one is I think people put up too much emphasis about winning. I think coaches worry about too much about winning and winning at all costs. What I believe since I, my first one was is your kid should be getting better. And the Winning and losing takes
3: care well, of itself.
2: Well, John, I, I couldn't agree more, and I'm glad you brought that point up. Uh, yeah, I mean, at the youth level, we're talking, again, ages 6 through 12. Uh, there's no question. Yeah. And, and, John, th- thank you for your, th- your thought this morning. Thanks for reminding me about this. Yeah, at the youth level, you know, it's not about winning or losing. It's about the skill development and getting the kids to come to really love the sport and develop a passion for the sport. If you if you get a kid who really loves coming to practice and loves to practice on their own and can't wait to play in the game and is getting better and better at their skills, then you have succeeded as a youth coach. Your one-loss record doesn't mean anything. Nobody cares, you know, who wins when the kid is six or ten or twelve. That's not important. The fact is, your job is to get them engaged, to have fun, to really look forward to the next practice, to the next game, and if you can do that then you know you've done a good job as a youth coach. And again, I feel that, uh, to John's point, that's often overlooked and forgotten in our our current societal expectation. Every game is uh, essential. We have to win at all costs. That's not the way you sort of work with kids when it comes to sports. It's as simple as that. Hey, let me take a quick time out.
0: I'll be back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?